negotiator. God damn it, Jack, I'm talking to you. The last time you pulled this job, did a bug, pop, go that deep out shit. People lost body parts. Now you go in there and it's your badge. Hello and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Good. Uh. Oh. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when, when, when Hannah first joined the show, Wayne, and she was happy and <laughs> nice, and then she just got broke? <laughs> you should be happy today. You got your computer back. I did get my computer back, but I've been watching the Marvel League, and the Oceanics are not doing well. <laughs> uh, I'm a Team Galactica fan myself. Wayne, have you watched it yet? I have not. Gotta, gotta pick a team. Well, I've, I, I've never, I've never been a big sports fan, so you know it's gonna, it's gonna take me a while. Neither is Katya, and she is now a huge fan. So we're gonna have to get into Marble League on a future show when she's around. Because I'm telling you, it it really Marble League will change your life. <laughs> it's all I care about in this world now. Josh told me we couldn't binge the Marble League because quote it was too precious and we needed to save them. <laughs> well, I mean, there are like four years of back Marble League games for us to catch up on, you know. But I guess that's a story for another time. That's not what not really what we're doing today i don't even know how you're going to transition there's no transition i'm waiting there is no there's no good transition here it's just that you know i mean how do you start a show without talking about marble league you just it's just it's so much it is everything but anyway we're gonna talk about something less fun but still interesting hopefully so you know stick around but uh, but but we did a show a couple weeks ago on on copaganda specifically at that point we were talking about paw patrol for reasons that are somehow culturally relevant And should and shouldn't be. I, don't, I, I still. Oh God, cancel that show. It's so it's so bad. But, but, we're, not, but we're not talking about Paw Patrol this week. Uh, we got some comments when we were doing that about well, you know, propaganda is not just on kids shows. You know, there's a lot of adult shows with it too. Like we know that, but you know, we, but we thought it'd be interesting to go the chase route. But like this, um, this week, I guess we're going to talk about you know, uh, sort of propaganda more generally in dramas and movies and you know you know so this is like this is what i like to call you know propaganda two going rogue you know? <laughs> <laughs> this really does sound like one of the reject titles for like bad boys um <laughs> phenomenal movie bad boys by the way <laughs> uh, my 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 head on this topic like there's like 16 different things i want to bring up uh we'll see how it fits in <laughs> so. all, right. all right all right well let's um let's introduce some guests Yes. Um, okay. So, we, so Wayne, you weren't here last no. time when we did the Chase Show because because you, you you don't have the intestinal fortitude to watch Paw Patrol like, like the rest it's of us. Just true. <laughs> and Katya can't be here this time, but we do have both of our guests from the Copaganda One Show returning. Uh, welcome back to Marone and Ryan. How's it going, guys? Good. Good to be here. Great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, that was great. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a really interesting conversation last time, and it was weird because we were focusing on very much not what people think about when they talk about cop shows, but now I think we're really going to think about you know what people think about when they're when they're talking about cop shows and and why it works and why it doesn't work. And you're you're using yeah. this purely as an excuse to wax rhapsodic about cop cop rock again, aren't you? Well, no. See, but but see, cop rock is the best of all cop shows. See, see, see. Oh, but it's not as good as as Riverdale. As the movie. 
No. Confidential. I thought you were going to go with Marble Leaf. Yeah. Uh, you know. No, I was staying on topic. Okay. Really confidential. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. Ryan, Marona, have you guys ever seen Cop Rock or is it, is it just me? <laughs> I feel like I saw it a very long time ago. Okay. Yeah, I remember it being on and I think I might have put an episode or two on now and then, but I think like you were saying last time, it was ahead of its time uh, back then. Everybody likes to make fun of it, but everyone in the world has spent the last three weeks watching Hamilton on repeat, so you know. <laughs> so who has the last laugh now? <laughs> Lynn Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Disney. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but Cop Rock had, I mean, Cop Rock, I can't believe I'm actually talking about this. And it's really, oh, it's really I like, I mean, Cop Rock. Cop Rock is supposed to be the joke. It's never supposed to actually make sense, but it's actually relevant here. Um, Cop Rock had, uh, amongst its ridiculousness, one of the things that sort of worked about the show to the extent that it worked at all was that it really was, it was very much an of that era cop show complete with the, you know, you've got the good cops, you've got the bad cops, you've got the one cop, the dangerous one who's just, you know, he's on the edge, you know, all the time. And, you know, all the all the tropes of cop shows that go all the way from Hill Street Blues, actually all the way from Dragnet, you know, Car 54, Where Are You? All the way through your Law and Orders, your and your movies, your Dirty Harrys to your LA Confidentials. You know, they're like, like you've got the bad, you know, that one bad cop who who's really on the right side, but you know, the law can't contain him. Cause you know, that sort of thing, well, which I, is a horrible idea for a cop. Yeah, by the way. It's and, just, and I, I think, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I definitely want to talk about going into some academic stuff. I, I've, I don't know that I watch a lot of cop shows. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough that I've seen a lot of cop shows in my life and, and movies, but it's not something I'm drawn to as a genre. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I have in the last several years read a lot of, thrillers uh novels that feature cop-like protagonists i guess um and and there's certainly those tropes play up in that as well like you know, the the protagonist is typically that uh cop who's you know, willing to bend the, the rules and then go things he's do things his own way to get things done for for justice and and whatever but he's still the good guy you know he will bring down the the genuinely bad cops within the within the system. The one I'm thinking of primarily is uh, the series of books by Michael Connelly featuring the character of Harry Bosch, uh, Hieronymus Bosch, based named after the the painter. And there's an Amazon Prime series based on that. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just he's the prime example of that sort of thing, um, where it's, you know, he is constantly having run-ins with his superiors and and losing positions and being demoted and, and being reassigned to other places because he's he's broken the internal code of the cops, but you know, he's done it for the right reason. And just see that play out in every one of his books. And there there are a lot of them. Michael Connelly's been writing since the nineties. And just I, I that whole look on of cops, uh, you know, it's like there's the the cliche of good cop, bad cop. Mm-hmm. And that's a that refers to a very specific you know, interrogation style or whatever. But I think it points out that dichotomy in the way we view the characters as well. And this is where uh, and Mav, you and I have talked about this in conjunction with, with superheroes. We both talk about in our class um, something originally from film studies called the thematic paradigm by Robert mm-hmm. Ray. Robert Ray's thematic paradigm specifically. He was talking about westerns, yes. but it's gonna it's gonna transfer to every 
it's a very good way of, of, of talking about genre within yeah, film and, 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 and arbitrarily within other fiction. And it's absolutely applicable to the superhero stuff we do, but I, I think certainly to cop shows as well. And he just, this is, he sees this as an, an American dichotomy, he breaks it down that way. I think you can find these archetypes all over the world, but the tension he sees is, as being very American. Uh, he proposes the existence of, of two different types of, of heroes, the official hero who is the cop, the, the lawyer, the, the person who is officially sanctioned to uphold the law. Um, the agent of the state. The agent, yes. the agent of the state. And on the other hand, we have the outlaw hero, the person who does the good, good things, but is doing it on his own. You, in classic fiction, legends, whatever, you, King Arthur you proved he was a le- legitimate heir to the king of, as king of England by pulling the sword from the stone, whereas Robin Hood just went out in the woods and robbed people. Yeah. And I think those two are kind of prime European cultural examples of those two extremes. And part of the point that Robert Ray makes is in America, we really want both. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a country. And we want to blur them. We want, we want, to, we want to blur them. That you know, America mm-hmm. is a, a country, the idea of law and order and justice and, and you know, uh, form out of chaos. And at the same time, we're a nation of rugged individualists. And don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> well, a conversation that Brian and I were having leading up to this was that a lot of cop movies and cop shows are basically using the structure of policing to hold action sequences and to hold like, you know, fight scenes, car chases, etc. And one of the things that that made me think of was that in a democratic society or in our specific democratic society, the idea is often that the state has a monopoly on violence. So Mm. we're taking the people who have the state's sanction to do violence and because they already have state approval for whatever fight, whatever chase, whatever they're doing, because it's theoretically in the upholding of the law, it's pre-sanitized and pre-acceptable. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's supposed to be through specific rules of engagement. And, you know, we could hear about that from Ryan. But when we talk about the, the cops that are outside the rules, we're talking about a problem that is so specific and so outside the norm of what the regular rules can handle that someone has to be both against the problem and against the normal confines of what society has sanctioned them to do. And that's where it gets into a lot of like the super cop stuff and the super copaganda stuff. And I think about like Lethal Weapon, especially where there was that long ass duel at the end between our two bit art between Mel Gibson who makes me sad because it turns out he's a horrible human and and the main bad guy. And like everyone stands by where, you know, they fight with melee weapons, they fight empty handed. And then finally they have a quick draw contest and the bad guy dies. And it's, you know, the three main styles of fighting all happen. We watch our, our hero triumph in every single one. And under no circumstances should that have been allowed. The guy should have just been arrested <laughs> as right. far as I understand. <laughs> but it was important for the audience to see the villain defeated in defeated by our main hero. I find myself in a lot of those things when I see the, the villain actually get killed at the end. I feel disappointed because I want them to serve a sentence. I want there to be <laughs> I want there to be longer consequences than just dying. Yeah. It's a really great villain. You want him to come back. You want him to come back, right? <laughs> well, I, I think that like actually this is pretty interesting in terms of something like Ali Confidential. 
you knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> because, like, spoiler alert for a really old movie that's almost as old as I am. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but not quite. Um, at the end, uh, the major villain ties up all of his loose ends, and he also, like, is defeated. So he tries to cut a deal and raises his hands, and then Ed Exley shoots him in the back. Um, like, But it, whenever Ed Exley talks about justice throughout the entire film, talking about we can't let guys get away with it, the question is, like, what is justice? Because, like, it seems that everything is just kind of stuck in the carceral system. So, like, is going to prison, like, a form of justice? Is that something that's good? And then, you know, when people talk about abolishing the police, the other half of that discussion is also usually about abolishing the prison system because the prison system in America is extremely cruel. Um, so, like... Like, what does justice even mean is, I think, a question that LA Confidential and some of the smarter cop shows, like, think about a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's interesting, um, sort of to go back to what Marone was talking about and what you were saying, Hannah. I, I think one of the reasons this stuff is so popular is it's kind of this weird fantasy fulfillment that so many people want to, like, to them, justice is revenge. And they can watch a, a TV show or a movie where cops can get revenge on someone, so to speak. And like Marone was saying, it's allowed. So they can have these things happen. But then in the reality, cops doing those same things that they would cheer somebody, the same cop on in a movie, if somebody was doing that in reality, everybody rightfully so would be like, whoa, this is not okay. We can't have that. But it's right, fun yeah, to that, watch. Yeah, and you know what I think is so interesting about LA Confidential, uh, and you're just going to have to stop me eventually with this, uh, is that you know a lot of these movies do like lean into rogue cops. They do lean into either the villain gets killed in an elaborate display or they go to prison and then come back in a sequel, maybe. But the thing that like makes LA Confidential like a really interesting movie to me is that it really plays with your perception of what is good behavior and bad behavior. And when Ed Exley like makes the choices he does throughout the film, you wonder if that's okay. Uh, I think this also goes for any of the cops and like, it plays with like seducing the viewer to see these dirty uh, slash political cops' perspectives, but also it takes you out of that and makes you think, Oh, well, no, this is actually really bad and brutal and terrible. And there's no one I can truly root for. I think that Watchmen uh, does something similar with the main character, Angela Abar and the other like mass cops, because you want to root for her. But in like the first couple episodes, you see her perpetrating like horrific violence and brutality mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not it's in a around. comfortable yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Like not in a comfortable way. Like it purposely makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was trying to think when we were um, gearing up for this, I was trying to think of any cop movies I could think of where they just follow the rules through the whole thing. And the first thing that came to mind, I love this movie, even though it wasn't very popular. The Dragnet movie with Dan Aykroyd and Tom <laughs> that's, that's funny. That went through mm. my mind just as you started talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great movie. Even that movie, they wind up breaking the rules and going rogue by the end. And I'm like, that's, you're talking about, you know, the 80s version of Joe Friday, his nephew. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any cop movies that are where they get to their goal and they do everything 
all by the book. It's part of like it's like. Well, I think TV shows it makes more sense for them to. Yeah, well, that adds more drama. It's more obstacles to follow mm-hmm. the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I think the idea of medium of TV versus film and what the place of the rules are in the plot structure gets really important too. Because right. I'm I'm just mm-hmm. thinking more about this this uh, police as agent of the state, and in the United States, patriotism is seen as a value. Mm-hmm. So you want to be on the policeman's side, and you want to believe. And you know, I'm speaking as a first generation immigrant where. In my elementary school in the Bronx, it was all about welcome to America. You're all American. This is a giant melting pot. Go USA number one. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd be speaking to people who were bought up elsewhere. I'm like hearing different things about this. Mm-hmm. But you want to believe that we're the good guys and the policeman is part of the state. So in the medium of television, where you can have long form storytelling and you can have procedural and the procedure steps up the plot where at this point, this is the red herring. This is the real piece of evidence. This is where we have enough where like we have to do things by the book and get this to happen. But you're seeing day by day. And then, you mm-hmm. know, people keep talking about the Passover question in movies of why is this night different, which is actually a mistranslation, but separate issue. But the idea of a movie is a singular event where television is part of a longer narrative. And in the movie, since it's, it's a singular, a singular event, it makes sense for it to be differentiated from this is the time that the rules do not count. And mm-hmm. since the mm-hmm. rules do not count, we're going to watch the exception to these rules mm-hmm. take place. And we're mm-hmm. going to watch our heroes do the thing that, they shouldn't that in theory mm. they shouldn't do, but we're watching the exception to the rules. We, we have, we, we have two hours. We don't have time for procedure. Well, yeah, yeah that's, mm. that's kind of what it is. I mean, it, we're, there's, um, in addition to, you know, we talked about Ray a little bit, um, but Ray does this with the thematic paradigm, uh, Jude and Lawrence, um, uh, who have several books about, um, all, all of our, all, we're going to talk about a lot of books this time. So a bunch of stuff's linked in the show notes. Um, but, um, they talk about the American monomyth where they talk about the aspects of what makes an American, you know, not just the superhero, but the idea of the American action hero. Um, and then this translates into my work with superheroes. It, it, it goes into just, um, there's a sociologist, Michael Kimmel, right? Wrote a book called Manhood in America and several other, uh, and several other books that talks about, um, there's an idea of American exceptionalism. You know, it's just, it's largely a myth, (laughs) honestly, but you know, you know, we are even with, um, with our president, no matter who it could be, who it shall be, even if it's a crazy reality show host, or if it's somebody, you know, no matter who the president is, you know, he is the most powerful man in the world. Why? Because we said so, because we're America and we just like, we like to say that he's the most important person because if our leader is the most important person, that means our country is the most important. And that's, you know, it's just, it's, it's BS. We made it up. Right. Um, but we do that with everything. We, we like to believe in the idea, the myth of a, of a person who can rise up by his own bootstraps. And if you can rise up by your own bootstraps, that means you play by your own rules. Yes. We want you to be an agent of the state who plays within the roles, which is what, what Ray says, but it's not interesting to watch somebody play within the rules all the time. What, 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 what the, the great thing about the American hero is, is we can look at him and we can say, yeah, he's a good guy because he's an agent of, uh, of justice, of violence, of, you know, of the state. But he's the guy who has the moral code that he knows when he and he alone knows when it's right, when it's right to break the rules. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean, the, the basic thematic, not thematic paradigm, the, the American monument as they outline it is a basic story you see time and time again. It's you know, a small community is threatened by outside forces, quote unquote, evil. They can't handle it on their own. The, the people in town, whether it's the police or whoever the official thing is, cannot handle this problem. A lone stranger rides into town outside the system mm-hmm. and through, through his skill set, he is able to defeat the evil and restore, mm-hmm. restore balance and justice to the town. But then once that is restored, there is no place for him because he lives outside that system. So he must ride off into the sunset and onto the next town and onto the next town to, to do it again. And, yeah. and so it is once again, that, that, that whole, you know, we want the, the official hero. We want the stability of community that can only mm-hmm. be saved by the rugged individual who can't live in that community. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you see this going back to some of these books I was reading Lee child's uh, character of Reacher, who was played fairly poorly by, um, yeah. Uh, wow. Tom, mine just, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Boy, did my mind go blank. Wow. Because <laughs> in, in the books, Jack Reacher is six foot six and 250 pounds of solid muscle. And Tom Cruise is not that. But it, it is just but he's dreamy. But it, it is just it is the modern Western. This character, formerly military police, not not, you know, uh, not police, but former military police who is now retired, who wanders the country, has no home, wanders the country just to leave me alone. He's like the Hulk in the 1970s TV show. You know, <laughs> leave, leave me alone. I don't want to get involved, but he always does. And it's exactly that. Something is going on in a small town in Minnesota involving drug lords. He goes in, he beats people up, he stops it, he hops on a bus out of town, the end. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think one thing that, it, that ends up happening with the, with that rugged in, individual who, you know, who can go outside the rules is we want to believe that there is a way in which the American exceptionalism, that guy, that the, the sole hero that America produces can, can just, he is there for us when, when we need him. He is, you know, again, he's a, he is very much a mythic hero. He's a Hercules or, or a Robin Hood or King Arthur who will rise again. And I'm thinking of like, even like with our, with our very serialized franchised heroes, Bruce Willis says it in Die Hard 2, right? You know, how can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? And then, you know, fast forward four more movies, right? right. And it just keeps happening ah. to him. Or if you, or if you, um, the, 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 um, I think it's the commercial for the second or third season of the television show 24. You know, what's great about 24 is Jack is absolutely an agent of the state. He is a good company man for, essentially the CIA, even though they call it CTU on the show, he is a spy who is there no matter what horrible thing the United States of America asks of him. He's the guy who's there to do it. And then the commercial is just like Jack Bauer hates when the phone rings because when the phone rings, he already knows it's too late. And this is, you know, and that's why they're calling them because like, you know, all traditional jurisprudence and, and diplomacy has failed. And now we need this guy whose job it is to just do violence really well. Well, this one guy, one guy, well, and, and, and Jason Bourne is that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, it's also interesting. I'm thinking about the Steven Seagal movies, like particularly <laughs> the first ones where under and, like, siege. You know, I'm yeah, well, I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking about above the law. Oh yeah. So like the too. very first mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. where it was this idea that this guy, like they show him, they show footage of traditional Aikido with Yoshiba Sensei, like the founder of Aikido, mm-hmm. who was like reputed to be basically magic. And <laughs> it's narrated by Steven Seagal. And there was this whole nonsense of it was semi-autobiographical. 
So the idea is that he goes to Japan, he becomes this incredible badass Aikido instructor, and then come back to the United States and signs up to be a police officer. Because mm -hmm. what else do you do after becoming an ultimate martial arts master than join your local police department? And I, you know, grew up doing martial arts. And there were occasional police officers who were in the school. And I even think like even that Carnegie Mellon, the Tang Soo Do instructor, was a sergeant in the yes. police force. Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. But um, and you know, I enjoyed his class very much. But like you didn't see these people like you, it was it was someone who like this was what he liked to do with his time. Mm -hmm. He didn't become like this incredibly badass grandmaster and join the college police force. <laughs> I will make CMU safe. Yeah. And I mean, we have a cool When's the last time you ever saw a legitimate cop, you know, do, doing a dragon kick or, or, or the matrix backflip or anything like hard that? To do, hard to do with <laughs> all that Never. military gear on. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's people are much less interested in human cop stories. They want mm -hmm. super cop. Yeah. When you think of the TV shows that they not like Law and Order, which is just a procedural and the cops are just props basically to move the story along, but like like I think a homicide from the nineties, which is what I think one of the best cop shows ever, but it's about them as human beings, not about the cases, not it's more about what the job does to you. And that show got terrible ratings. It's a whole run until the <laughs> network basically said, no, we're going to tell you to put pretty people in it and do these kind of stories. And then it failed. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, I, I don't think the general audience is as interested in seeing that as they are seeing either just a basic procedural, which mm -hmm. is the most unrealistic thing or super cop. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. or or like the police as vehicle for actions. I'm thinking about mm -hmm. the TV show Lucifer, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite shows, and it's an adaptation of the of the comic book, very very loose, and because like the actual comic book character would not make any sense in this context. Right. But he comes to the world, comes to Earth, is basically learning how to human. And in the process of learning how the human becomes a special consultant to the L.A. police department working with one detective mm -hmm. and no questions asked. The L.A. police department just took this very charming British accent man in a suit and said, you do you. And he <laughs> is solving murders with the L.A. police department while he's while all this other shit is going on. But the fact that he's tied into the police department basically gives him excuses, gives the show excuses for him to explore. I hate this phrase, the human condition, the human condition and morality and an excuse for him to use his funky devil powers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, that's the show. And when I think about it, like the actual police characters, most of the time are trying to play by the rules. Mm -hmm. The rules are really loose and weird, and there is some dirty cop stuff happening, and that's like a major plot line of how are we dealing with this corruption in our system, but like they're trying to play by the rules, and they have the literal devil who is among <laughs> them fucking with the rules, and for most of the series, like a big spoiler, he's very open about, well, I'm the devil, and no one believes him. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So like that's a thing too. I wonder if um and this is this is a, a weird interesting tangent cuz I mean since you bring up Lucifer the conceit of that show and I'm going to strip everything away the conceit of the show is buddy cop show that where you got the cop and then you got his friend who's not the cop but you know because he's not the cop he doesn't necessarily have to play by cop rules but being cop adjacent gives him a little sense of of legitimacy in the crime fighting right like that's, yes. this is that's the conceit of Lucifer and I'm thinking about that and we sort of we sort of reuse this on a lot of shows right this that's what that's what bones is that's what castle is it's what the it's what flash and arrow are in 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 superhero world and you take it you know there's um the mentalist was had this conceit you know we have the cops and the cops need the help of their friend who has special magical ability uh ghost whisperer uh, medium and then i thought well let's get really weird with it right it goes all the way back to say murder she wrote right murder she wrote is exactly that show um now just because because my wife is a big murder she wrote fan still today and watches old episodes and will listen to this one day and then you know be very upset when i point this out jessica fletcher did it she killed all those people okay <laughs> like, like, like it's all a cover-up that's the entire that's the entire show you know watch it carefully you know not that many people should be murdered in that one little tiny town in maine but anyway Cabot Cove, right? Like yeah. she's she's clearly in on it, and um, you know it's like Dexter. Dexter also one of those shows, but that's a thing that we do. We you know um, because being the cop, being the straight laced cop, is inherently uninteresting. If you're going to follow all the rules, you pair them up with a you know with an agent of the police who can break the rules because they're bad. Well, and, and that's I mean that <laughs> all the cozy mysteries you know which you, you, Murder She Wrote is certainly a you know, product of. That's the plot of all of them is there's this sweet old lady who has cats who somehow can solve crimes that the local <laughs> small town police can. Um, I mean, it goes it goes back to just, you know, 19th century stuff too, not that we should diversion to just it. like private detectives, but like, I mean, like Sherlock Holmes, yeah, like Girl absolutely. and Pose, like, like it's they don't not work with cops. Um, yeah. Like, it, it's all there. Um, sometimes they're smarter than the cops, which is like, like my favorite thing about reading Agatha Christie is reading Miss Marple, and the cops are like, I'm so confused. And Miss Marple's like, well, if you just paid attention to village life, you would understand the human condition. <laughs> I can't do British accent. And then she's like, and then the cops are like, I don't think we should care about all these, like, love affairs because they're domestic. And Miss Marple's like, well, if you paid attention, you would know what I knew, and that would be that she did it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I've, like, I've, like, that's, read... That's exactly Sherlock Holmes's character yeah. and Poirot and mm-hmm. the guy from Knives Out. And, yeah, you know, right, yeah. They're all, yeah. They're all that guy. Yeah. Basically, I've read mystery fiction and romance novels since finishing my dissertation, and... Huh. Um, that's what I can talk about. Um, I came through the first three books of Game of Thrones in two weeks after finishing my dissertation. So like, I'm with you. I get it. But one thing that this, that this brings up too, is that this idea that the actual rules are insufficient Yes, and that the agents of the state are not, are either not empowered to actually enforce the justice and morality that the rules are supposed to be there to protect or that the state is not enough. And mm-hmm. when they take power into their own hands, then it becomes an issue where, okay, they've served justice and we've allowed them to. And then you get into things like Judge Dredd and Robocop, where these are extraordinarily 
powerful agents of the state. And they are very by the book. Robocop, because it's the programming. Judge Dredd, because it is he is the law. And look. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you do with how they deal with the rules? And I think I, I don't remember exactly if they were entirely by the book the whole movie, because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. In the, or, comics, in the comics, Judge Dredd certainly is. Yes. Yeah. In, the, in, and in, the, in a world that has very different rules than we have uh, in some right. ways. And in but, the movie, in, the, in the, the, the conceit of, well, the conceit of the more recent Dredd movie is, is very close to the comics. It's, it's by the book, but the book is very different than our book. Um, the, the Stallone movie, the I am look, that, that one. Um, <laughs> he, yes, once again, that, wow, that, that, mean, that, that was an impression. That was not a clip, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, wow, I, I, I kind of thought you somehow got Stallone on the show. That, that was, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but the conceit of that, of that one is, well, the book has failed, right? Like he, he is by the book. Mm. The law, the law doesn't work the way we thought it was. Maybe, you know, maybe we're not perfect. And it's, it's what you get with like, say my minority report too, right? He yeah. has to go rogue because the system has failed us. And that's, go ahead, Anna. I was going to say, and that's LA confidential and other things like yes, that too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you can't go outside the system because like the DA is corrupt. The councilmen are being blackmailed. The millionaires are terrible. They even, you know, pull in all the like problems with like the greater system of America from like the ideas of manifest destiny and American exceptionalism to structural racism. Anyway, only confidential explains America to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess you know, to me that asks the question then, are they saying that the rules need to be more fascist? Would they work better if they are enforced by the book? You know, like because you have characters like Judge Dredd who I'm sorry, he's a fascist, you know, he's, he's, yeah. he's a fucking Gestapo. <laughs> Well, and and in in the good version of the movie, I agree with you, right? In in Dread, the more recent version of the movie, it maybe says that. But in the Stallone version, I think, I mean, people make fun of that movie. But as I remember, and it's been, I didn't rewatch it for this, but the entire point of that movie is that the fascism doesn't work, right? Like he, like he, like it fails because the, because you're having blind adherence to an imperfect system, which he Mm -hmm. didn't know was imperfect. That's the failure of the film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I, I just bring that up rhetorically because I can see both sides of that, that in some ways it's pushing for we need stricter enforcement of these rules. But you're right. In, in any of those cases, that stricter enforcement isn't necessarily the answer. The rules are and bad. Then, and enforcement takes a lot of form. So I can tell you that in a lot of contemporary self-defense training, a aspect of dealing with a violent encounter is dealing with the aftermath. And they're very specific about if a cop shows up, you must articulate what happened and why and fear the notebook. And like when you see if, if you are in a situation and you are dealing with law enforcement because something did not go well, the things you say and what gets written down will have massive effect on your life. But the system part of someone spending a shit ton of money on lawyers and having like losing their job because they have to be at court dates all the time or, you know, in more recent times with all of these protests, people going broke or because of bail doesn't necessarily make good cinema. But, you know, I'd actually like what 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 do we do with like the portrayal of the notebook? 
not you know you don't mean the the one with Ryan and um you mean a different <laughs> notebook. <laughs> I mean like well I guess the the note that when when the car like that's that's the thing that like a lot of these a lot of the self defense instruction right deals with because like so Mark McYoung who's like kind of one of the main voices of this he's like the great grandfather of a lot of this right now he says that if you're in a self defense situation as a civilian. There's two outcomes and both are bad. <laughs> One is that it doesn't work and you know you suffer for it. The other is that it does work and then you suffer for it. Mm-hmm. Because like if you end up in a violent encounter and you really hurt someone, law enforcement shows up and you have some explaining to do. And mm-hmm. uh there was a recent post I saw where someone said that they need to change the um the language from perpetrator and victim to asshole one and asshole two. <laughs> but like I would actually like to hear from that said that. Uh it was Mick Young that said that, but I know that oh, okay. he deals a lot with cops. So uh, but I mean I I'd like to hear about that too, because that's an aspect of this that we don't get in our entertainment. Yeah. And I think we're very blind to it. Yeah, and I can say almost most of the time, the person that loses the fight is pressing charges. And at least where I where I was a cop, the uh, law was doesn't matter who started it, doesn't matter who hit first. If two people interacted in a fight, they can both be charged. It wasn't our job to figure it out. That was up to the court. So mm-hmm. al- almost always, it would be one person presses charges, and the other guy's like, "Screw him! I'm pressing charges too." And mm-hmm. like he said, both outcomes are bad. Yeah. So, okay, so then the question becomes if we're, you know, to sort of, you know, swing back around to the point of this episode, if we're looking at, you know, violence, whether we're in the individual who isn't actually an agent of the state or the, you know, the agent of the state, the, you know, your, your John McClain, who, who in real life would have been, you know, before IAB so many times and just like, like, there's no way McLean's still on the force like 30 years later. Right. No. Um, but like, it just, it doesn't matter how justified he thought he, you shot how many people, you know, like maybe you get away with it in Die Hard one. Right. But like by the time Die Hard two, three, four and five are coming on, like, why the fuck are you going to Russia? Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, like, even Die Hard one, sh- he's out of his jurisdiction. Yeah. Right. Right. But, but like, yeah. that's it. But, but at least Die Hard one, at least Die Hard one, he's effectively a civilian who's just trapped right like the, like i can see how he ends up he's for coloring of the show he is a cop but like he's effectively no different than the situation ryan was just explaining right by the time you're in like Die Hard three and 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 beyond i'm like dude you're you're looking for trouble like what are you what are you, what are you doing you know fair to be fair, in Die Hard Three, Trouble was looking for him. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Trouble's, but still, it's just like you—you you, you are you are an internal affairs nightmare. You're not worth the paycheck anymore. <laughs> no, just, like he is absolutely going to be fired. Um, so, so I. I don't know. Like if we, if we are celebrating this fictional thing where it's returning to the thematic paradigm, it's not a might makes right kind of thing. Right. Cause, because we are, it's not like we are telling stories where we justify the actions because he's the strongest. We justify um, his violence, dirty Harry's violence, John McClane's violence, because we inherently believe that, this guy, this one rugged individual, right? 
he is right by virtue of him being the hero in a way that we don't with um we look at Hans Gruber and we say Hans Gruber is wrong he is a bad guy we look at John McClane and we say John McClane's right because he is a good guy but effectively what's the real difference between them how do we know who to root for when two cowboys meet you know in the middle of an empty street uh, do you know the do we know about sheepdog theory have people heard about this so this is from a man named Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman and it he basically defines people as three types and there is sheep wolves and sheepdogs and the difference between wolves and sheepdogs is which side they're on now this has been largely debunked and this is often used by a lot of like basically militia types or wannabe superheroes to justify their own like toxic masculinity i also hate that term but they're but like it counts here but it's used to justify a lot of really poor behavior. But mm-hmm. the idea is most people are sheep. The bad guys are wolves and the good guys are sheep dogs. And I think this mm-hmm. is similar to um, the power of myth to Joseph Campbell, where it's a horrible anthropology, but really good story structure. And if you take this towards story structure and you say, OK, we define all the standbys and all the victims and all the people they're saving as the sheep. We define Hans Gruber as the wolf. And then McLean's our sheepdog. We define Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry's a sheepdog. So whatever he does, he's doing it in his essential sheepdog capacity because he's going after the wolves. And as long as he's a good sheepdog, the rules don't matter quite as much because he's still protecting all of us poor, helpless sheep. Protecting the herd. But how do you know he's a sheepdog other than the fact that the movie's named after him? That's the thing. It's like it's in the behavior because like I think it establishes those guys are the wolves because the wolves are obvious bad guys. So he's fighting the wolves and it doesn't and like, you know, wolf on wolf violence is kind of not a thing in a lot of these movies or it's seen as a blessing. So the sheepdog going after like as long as someone's going after the bad guys, they must be a sheepdog. Mm-hmm. I and you know that that whole idea has been brought up not in those terms, but in uh, in Walking Dead, you know, they've pointed out the whole if we had started the story with Negan's group, who you know we see as the bad guy in the story, if we had started the story with him and witnessed this this world through his eyes, our characters, Rick Grimes and his group of people, would definitely be seen as the bad guys. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. just based on their behavior when they first encountered Negan's group and you know, they, they killed some of his people. They would have been seen. Mm-hmm. You, you, so you're coming at it from a different angle. So yeah, it's very much you know, who is the, the in group that you identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so is it the problem of I am legend, right? Um, the, I am legend. The entire point of the story is that, you know, you follow the hero. If you, if you're talking about the, if you're talking about the, the film version, then Will Smith, um, you follow him and you believe him to be the hero because he's going around killing zombies until you realize that he's the only human left alive in this world or there's actually others. But for the most part, he is the human left alive. And so from the point of the zombie who is really just trying to live their life, you've just got this crazy alien terrorist who's running around killing us for no good reason. <laughs> Yeah. And when you find out that they actually have somewhat of a society and care about each other, it's and they took all the the teeth out of the actual intent of the story in the movie at the Mm -hmm. end. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's such a great, powerful story. And like you said, it's it's all the perspective. Once we realize that they have emotions, he's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder in. And all you're going to roll your eyes again. I wonder in stories where, you know, there's an attempt to collapse 
the cop and criminal um or wolf or sheepdog or whatever um you know two poles we have something mm-hmm. like la confidential which literally is like look these cops are literally like trying to take over a criminal like syndicate this episode um, in hannah's rent sponsored by la confidential <laughs> <laughs> it is it is one of the most relevant movies also it like came out like three years after the crime bill pat like it's guys it's yeah. amazing uh should have won the oscar uh, not the last time I said, but also, you know, things like Watchmen, where, you know, they, they kind of collapse the vigilante superhero, which is traditionally seen as a hero, despite them not being totally with the law, and police officers. But, you know, the more, like, you see the story unfold, the more you question, like, Angela Abar and other characters, like, role in society because of how policing in America works. If yeah. that's the case, if those things are collapsed, can we say though that like they're anti-cop like totally though like is there any like truly like anti-cop like, media well, like, the, the, the boys thing. is really interesting in that regard yeah that is and i was gonna say one that um i think almost perfectly encapsulates uh what you're saying hannah it was the shield where you've got the cops that are totally bad guys but from, still from episode yeah. one yeah exactly and sit there and they tell themselves they're doing good because they're still locking up bad guys, but they're profiting off of it and killing people that get in their way. They're, it's it's always fascinated me what a big sh- what a big hit that show was. Um, but again, it goes back to that weird fantasy fulfillment where I think a lot of people want to be that guy and have that power and do that stuff that he does, but they don't want anybody else to be able to do it. They certainly don't want them being able to do it in real life. Is it a justification in your own ideology? So I'm thinking of um, take it to real life right now. Um, and we've and this is this is something that Wayne, I know you've discussed briefly on the show before. And um, for instance, the idea of in real life, uh, some way larger than I am comfortable with um, portion of actual real life cops have fallen in love with the symbol of the Punisher as their as their as their avatar and logo and so much so that Marvel Comics has had to write Punisher stories to point out that the Punisher doesn't want you to do this. The entire idea yeah. of him is I am a failure of the system. I am not what you want to be. I'm not law and order. I'm a murderer because I'm looking for revenge and vengeance and not justice. And he is but, not a healthy man. No. no. <laughs> and, and, and his, um his TV show, by the way, does a very good, the, the Netflix show does a mm-hmm. very good job of sort of writing that line. However, the, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it matters how bad a cop somebody is, right? Because Dirty Harry's not a good cop, right? Like Dirty Harry is absolutely not what you want your local law enforcement individual to be. Yeah, um, he's a sociopath. Yeah, and and he's a sociopath with a badge, and that's what makes the story interesting. But I think that part of the you know. <laughs> We always want our heroes to be interesting. Okay, take it to not a cop, right? Like I, like we're teachers, right? As a teacher, my life is nothing like the movie Lean on Me or Stand and Deliver, right? It's not, <laughs> or or what's the Robin Williams one where he stands on the table? Um, yeah, that that has never happened to me. I mean, I've had like interesting <laughs> classes, but but like if I but if I jumped up on the table, my my students, are, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm gonna try it next next class. Actually, I probably could get away with it because I. I'm weird, but, um, but like, it's you just, get away with just it cause I've done it. Yeah. Okay, good. So, uh, so like, I don't, 
But like, that's not really what being a professor is like, right? Like not most of the time, but we take these interesting things. Like if, you know, like you can make any job interesting if you only show the 1%. We talked about this on the last Copaganda episode, the 1% of interesting stuff and you make it like that's the entire job, you know? Yeah. Then, and then sure, it seems great. You know, like, like no, no one wants to watch Clint Eastwood do paperwork. That would be boring. <laughs> you know, like, 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 oh, look, he's filling out his, he's filling out his forms, you know, like, yeah, the after action report, thrilling. You know, that's good television. Yeah. Or- Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz handled that so well. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad we're bringing up Hot Fuzz because I actually feel like the first half of that movie is actually like fantastic commentary on what we conceptualize of as the police. They're you know, totally they're in a lot of American buddy cop films. I think the second half leans into what they're like critiquing, but <laughs> um, it's actually way smarter than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Yeah, and I love the um, the oh God, I can't remember his name now. And I love that movie, but the Nick Frost character um, being so Spider-Man. obsessed. Yes, yes, I, I love him being so obsessed with the the, the American cop films, um, and where we've got this actual super cop that's never seen any of them and couldn't care less about them. Mm-hmm. So you've got the one guy who's just this wannabe fantasy cool cop that does nothing but watch these propaganda movies and then you've got the other guy that really does this stuff that thinks that stuff is stupid as hell and i i really appreciate how um i I think my my favorite part of that movie is whenever they're talking about like the police force he's like no the police service um Mm -hmm. and uh i mean i think there's a reason why like i i point out last time like last propaganda episode uh that i've been reading a book called the end of policing and i there's definitely a reason why even though it's not perfect the author of that book constantly points to places like the uk as examples of like alternatives to american policing for how they handle things like mental health services how do they and is there like a actually like how do they discuss how they handle like calls for um people with mental health issues or right yeah so um like one thing that you know he talks about is like um instead of just police who are untrained in the u.s answering phone calls which tend to in a lot of cases lead to the death of the people they're being called to help um uh you know there there are crisis intervention teams um so like officers um are trained to become more knowledgeable um sometimes like they're accompanied by people who are like trained healthcare workers. And so this approach is common in places like Canada, Britain, Europe, and Australia. I don't know why Britain and Europe are listed separately exactly, but I, I, there are some nuanced reasons why. Um, so like, you know, I quote, especially trained officers work with male health professionals to respond to calls involving um, people with yeah, male health. That's um, really good. Yeah. In some cases, in most cases, like the people who are like trained health professionals take the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, uh, if you guys are interested in reading this book, I think it's still free on Verso, uh, but it mostly like points out like a lot of like alternatives um, to like what some of the big problems with like structural problems with policing um, are in the United yeah, States. And the mental health issues are huge. And again, it's not something that we see in a lot of TV and movies, um, but it's a, a very common call. And I, I wish more police departments did this. The, and I think I mentioned this the last time the um, department that I work for Baltimore County. Um, they actually have, it's, I remember, I couldn't remember the name last time. It's the mobile crisis unit. And each unit is two officers and a uh, counselor. And the counselor kind of takes point unless the person is dangerous. Um, the officers aren't in like full uniform. They're dressed down with like a polo and khakis and they have really good results. They actually get to know the people that are common calls 
so like the people might recognize it, be more comfortable with them. And they sit with them. If they have to go to the hospital, they actually sit with them the whole time to make sure that they're okay. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a great model. Yeah. And I just don't understand why more departments don't start doing stuff like that, um, especially these days, other than they just don't want to spend the money. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't want to spend money. money, And I think it probably doesn't fit with the narrative. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so. I, I, I mean, if you've not picked up on the show before, I'm not necessarily the person who believes that media just creates our reality, but it does inform our reality. Right. And, uh, and I think that our idea of our, as a society idea of what we want the American policing system to be, you know, I, I think American society wants it to be exciting. They want, we want to believe in these superheroes, right? Like what the, the people who are against the defund the police movement aren't against it for at large they're against it for well what are you going to do when somebody is you know trying to murder you i'm like well i hope nobody's trying to murder me i mean this is like <laughs> like, like 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 let's not jump to that part of the problem right um like but like ass- assuming that you know if someone's really trying to murder me yeah okay then i'll call the cops but for the most part like that's again not what police really do you know ryan how long did you work as a cop uh 22 years how many murder calls did you go out on uh two i think okay so there you go (laughs) yeah yeah and the the counseling thing i i worked in mental health services for a brief period in my life i have restrained people uh who were being you know in the moment relatively violent uh, so, you know, there, there are people like me who are trained to do some of that sort of thing. I haven't done it in a long, long time. I wouldn't want to do it now. Uh, I'm, right. I'm, well, I'm old and I'm fat and I'm out of shape, but you know, back then I, I was okay. Uh, do you even want to, do you even want to do a movie? Like, like who wants to do a movie about cops going out on mental health calls? Right. right. That's not interesting. Right. Right. I mean, like, eh. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. and we and we want the action hero, right? Like, yeah. we, like we like we really, really want to believe in this guy. So even I mean, Marone, you pointed this out this this out on the last show, right? Like, how often do people do people look at like a Black Lives Matter situation where somebody gets shot and they go, well, "Why didn't he shoot the gun out of his hand?" Because that's not what you do. That's not a yeah. real thing. Yeah, yeah right, <laughs> like, right. That's, that's, that's not what happened. That's not that's yeah. not how guns work, right? And or or even. Even or shoot him in the leg. Yes, just, which, which by the way, impossible. is Joe, Joe, Joe Biden's Biden? solution. Joe Biden's solution yeah. is why aren't we shooting people in the leg all the time? And I'm just like, uh. stop, ta- stop talking and making it hard for me to vote for you. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> just, just don't, just, just shut up and you'll win. Just never speak again. And, and but you know, yeah. I mean, we we talked about last time, like you know, like some sort of like warrior yes. mentality um, mm-hmm. that like a lot of cops have, and you know, like it's always like you know, there's a lot of like training uh, that you know, you know, and thought process of oh, like I have to be prepared at all mm-hmm. times for like someone to confront me, and I think. Again, I'm going to just do this. LA Confidential does a good job of capturing that kind of mentality because, you know, part of the reason why shootouts sometimes start is because, like, a beer bottle, like, falls off the table and breaks and the cops are super jumpy. Or, um, you know, Ed Exley at the beginning of the film is like, I don't like violence. But then, you know, uh, his nameless <laughs> partner is shot. And the camera cuts for him to look at that partner and he retaliates after the camera sh- like cuts to him. So it's also like, um, I mean, I think Ali Hondichel does a fantastic job of like also looking at this like inner mentality of like the police. And I, I want to use the words toxic masculinity, <laughs> but if there's ever a film that was about toxic masculinity and like the culture feeding upon itself, not just destroying like women, then it's Fight um, Club, but also LA Confidential. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, like Fight Club is not 
about yeah, what happened. Know, you know, know. Like, it's, 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 it's a story about like people destroying not only others but themselves. Like the department's feeding mm-hmm. on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just constant cycles of abuse. That mm-hmm. is the movie, uh, which is why I like it so much. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> Kitty, mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. <laughs> well, like like that, and um, like Mav brought up with uh, Fight Club, I find that people. There's a, a whole bunch of people that like those kind of movies for the wrong reason. Yes. Right. People that yes. love Fight Club oh, yes. that don't yes. understand. Much like The Punisher. Exactly. Oh, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because personally, I get so disgusted when I see those blue line Punisher yeah. shirts. Well, and I, I just, and, we're, we're going to link in the show notes. Uh, Nate Powell, who was the artist on the John Lewis story, March, uh, did mm-hmm. a really wonderful uh, comic about just kind of growing up in the culture of police and military and how they've taken on that Punisher symbol and what it means. And, and, uh, what do you say? We're going to link that. I, so, um, just, yeah. I mean, he, he really delves into some of those ideas. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really weird thing. Like I don't, I mean, there's the saying, if, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And that's, that's the idea. Like if we create, if we create an idea of cops as the cops are who you call, when you want somebody to shoot somebody like like yeah. that's that's really and and even in in the ideal situation even in a situation where we have good mental health we have you know like that should not be our idea of what policemen are for because again ryan mm-hmm. how many people did you shoot in 22 years Zero. yeah oh there you go so clearly <laughs> clearly you were a horrible cop in you know, 22 <laughs> years you you're, should have shot you're dozens never of people getting, per day you're never, getting, <laughs> never getting a movie made about you Right. right. Yeah, well, and, and so, but I mean, but that's the, that's the weird thing, right? If we, you know, what is our idea of, of what violence is? What is our idea of what cops are? What is our idea of what mental health is? Right. It's well, all based on sort of, you know, we form so much of our reality based on media on what we, and media, I mean this broadly, what we read, what we watch on TV, be it fictional, be it the news, right? We form our ideas of these things that we don't necessarily experience if we're lucky on a daily basis by what we absorb through the culture. And if we create an idea of only the exciting part, then it becomes weird. However, the, you know, the counter to that is, and this is why I always have trouble, you know, as somebody who studies media for a living, uh, I always have trouble with people who say, well, why don't we just do stuff about the good? You know, if we had, if we had more movies about good cops, then, then people wouldn't feel this way. It's like, no, they just wouldn't watch those movies. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, they're, they're yeah. it, it is a flaw. And America has, <laughs> has a, a taste. The, 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 the Hallmark cop network. Well, I have another question because I think we have the question of how many people did you shoot in 22 years, Ryan? But mm-hmm. if I can ask and, you know, we can delete this later if necessary. But how many acts of violence did you engage in? Uh, well, I am probably skewed low because uh, one thing I was known for is being a good de-escalator, mm-hmm. um, which basically just boiled down to me going up to somebody that was upset and saying, hey, tell me your side of the story. I want to hear it. And nine times out of ten, they'll calm down and listen to you rather than going in and wanting to look for a fight. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, like real violence and fights, maybe over 22 years, 15 to 20. Not mm-hmm. really. I, I mean, I I was always focused on nobody getting hurt, whether it's yeah. the other, whether it's the suspect or me. Um, I just really feel like with some patience, mm-hmm. you can handle that stuff and, most of the time. And, 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 and that's I, a boring I, ass movie. I truly want to believe that most cops are like that. 
Sure. Yeah. And in my experience, honestly, if we're yeah, more yeah. than fifty percent for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe not um, maybe, a majority. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not most, but you you, you were there. Yeah. So. I uh, we're, yeah. we're I mean at this point in the conversation, I, I I might be introducing too many. There are two points I want to make uh, that might actually just be another show at this point because we've we're, <laughs> we've gone on for a while. Uh, I want I want to bring up the flip side of of the the super cops thing, which is you know in, yes. in the 1970s when Dukes of Hazard just presented the cops as idiots and the bad guys, mm-hmm. and and you know, that's one example, but there were many of them you know that genre of movie and tv show that just you were running from the cops you know nascar was born out of the sport of nascar was born out of Mm -hmm. hillbillies running alcohol to the hills and and trying to escape Mm -hmm. the cops the cops were seen as the bad guys um yeah i went on a moonshine tour last summer and it was enlightening and and i and i find that interesting i don't know that if we Mm -hmm. see as much of that sort of thing anymore where it's just smoking the bandit and that's the outlaw hero certainly you know those guys were the the robin hoods of of tennessee or wherever Mm -hmm. they were based um Right. Well, Sheriff yeah. Nottingham in 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 Robin Hood, which you said before, but Smoking in the Bandit. I think it still happens. I mean, like you're um, all the guards in Cool Hand Luke and Shawshank Redemption, and yeah. You know. I mean, and, and and Robin Hood. Yeah, I mean, Robin Hood still remains yeah. popular. Are they like mm-hmm. retell Robin Hood's story in a modern context? Because, I mean, like the different episode, but the, the point of Robin Hood is that society is mm-hmm. unjust, and therefore we must, you know, redistribute the wealth, eat the mm-hmm. rich. There we are. There's, yeah. there's our current moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Robin Hood would still qualify as a sheepdog. Yeah, or a oh, sheriff yeah. of yeah, Nottingham would be the wolf, and I mean, he literally is right. in the Disney yeah. Robin Hood. Boom. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for that. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's but that's the thing, right? Like you're 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 taking all these. This is this is again the story is what it's just based on perspective. It's it's the I am legend problem, right? Like we, we choose to believe that Robin hood is stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And that's all great. Unless you're the rich, right? right. (laughs) Like, which I'm not. So fuck them, you know, but, but but if I were, I might have more of a problem with it. But that that, um, question of perspective, I think one of the reasons that it's become so popular, um, the liar, handled that so yes. well and it's one of my another i mean both david simon the guy knows what he's doing but it's probably my other favorite cop show of all time because it's all great there no, the mm-hmm. cops i mean you've got freeman other than him for the and prisbaluski other than those two guys the cops not all of them are good guys the dealers they really let them they showed you the humanity behind them and uh and then went the the fourth season all about schools where you get to see how these kids get into this lifestyle and you hear mm-hmm. so much about those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they handled that whole thing so beautifully by giving us all these different perspectives and not being hey it's good guys versus bad guys yeah. drug war. And, and, mm-hmm. and speaking of Idris Elba, I just take this time to recommend the British show Luther that he was in. That same thing, yeah. um, this same same type of you know he he's a rogue cop who teams up with a crazy woman, um, a, a really <laughs> dangerous sociopath to do the right thing. Um, so, but really well done. And, and being a British TV show, there's like eight episodes or something. <laughs> it's, 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 it's four seasons long, but, but, yeah. but it's like eight episodes. Uh, uh, and the, the other point I want to bring up, maybe this is the other show. Um, the other thing I noticed in these books I referenced before, the Bosch books and Lee Child and, and some of the others, is 
how often there are newspaper reporter characters or TV reporter characters in that who are really treated as the enemy. Just that mm-hmm. that whole you know there was the time that Clark Kent was a reporter because that was the epitome of you know, American freedom and free speech and and all this sort of thing. And just how much the press is now demonized in so many of these shows as being the bad guy. They are obstacles to solving the case. They are you know interfering. They're wanting information that you know if, if this gets out to the public now, it'll ruin our our chances of of this case. And I don't deny that there's some truth to that sort of thing. There are things the public doesn't need to know about cases while they're in process, but I've just noticed how often press is really demonized, really demonized uh, as a sideline in a lot of these novels I've read. Yeah. And um, Uh, it's, it's so prevalent that when I first started writing back in the, I think 97, um, the first screenplay that I ever wrote totally plays up the whole press pain in the ass aspect. And Mm -hmm. when I went back to it a few years ago, I was like, I don't get this at all. That has never been an issue in my entire career. Yeah. It's just, it's so much a part of the genre. (laughs) Trope, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, as a student journalist, who I can tell a story from my own perspective. For, um, uh, I, I like had to go make friends with the like Starkville PD and um, tried to make friends with like very specific officers in, in like the Mississippi State Police Department in hopes that they would like take my phone calls um, <laughs> because like. Uh, th- like, yeah, like press and the police, at least in that particular place, were not always on the best mm-hmm. of terms. Um, I cannot speak to why, because like it was a constant like rotation of student journalists because, you know, you leave like you leave your job because you graduate. It was really fun job applications. Why do you leave the position? I graduate. Um, but uh, yeah, like so I, I made friends with some of the officers. Friends is a loose <laughs> term. Uh, <laughs> And I made sure I quoted them correctly mm-hmm. for all the reasons. And it turned out they did take my calls after a while. Um, they offered me a ride along and I never got to go. But yeah, like there, I mean, that was, there was nothing like super like hostile, but there, there definitely was some tension. And that's it. I don't know um, how true that is in the real world. Um, I have a friend here in town, usually an old customer of mine who is essentially covers the police beat for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Uh, I haven't talked to him for a while. I should I should pick his brain on that to see what his experience has been. My experience was always um, the cops definitely have their their guard up when talking to press, mm-hmm. um, and I think largely a, a big part of that is we're well not we anymore but when i was up um cops aren't supposed to talk to the press unless they're given permission um and, 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 and given if, blanket if permission. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly so i think that a lot of it is just i don't want to say anything and get in trouble and i think yeah. just that whole mentality leads into i don't trust them after yeah. time you know mm-hmm. and, and that's that's something that should be addressed because there's truly if you're not doing anything wrong there's nothing you should be worried about the press knowing mm-hmm. aside I mean, from investigations fair. and yeah. progress oh, right, right. Yeah, that, that's it yeah the yeah. investigation thing yeah. is I, that makes sense yeah. to me but yeah i, I mean I, I don't know who i'm being fair to but to be fair it <laughs> seems that everyone and this is a different episode entirely but everyone has bad perceptions of the press um like uh, the critique i've seen it related to the police and the press lately is that um the press is so willing to take the police upon their word. And there were, you know, or a lot of like police statements that were proven wrong by mm-hmm. videos from recent protests or very poorly worded headlines and lead stories, or a lot of use of passive voice 
to disassociate actions mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the police. Um, Shame he got shot. So I think. I think that, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of like um, critiques of the press from just all sides. I mean, we have a president who. Enemy of the people. Uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Of the people. Um, which, like, you know, I, I feel like absolutely, if you are a member of the press, you should do your due diligence and do your job. But also, as someone who knows how much a lot of like reporters make and also how much pressure they're under and how much work they do for so little money and how, like, sometimes it seems like no mm-hmm. one likes you, I really yeah. feel for them. I think the press is a very big category. Because if someone says, hi, I'm from Breitbart, or I'm here, I'd like to interview you for InfoWars, like, you're still the press. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, that's the the other thing. Like, the the quote, the quote, the media isn't exactly a thing Mm -hmm. because there's real people. The media includes novelists. We're the media. Right. Yeah, we're the media. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's, and, and it's a right, bad it's, category. It's a way of you know, lumping all that together. And then you people who just lump the New York Times in with, you know, InfoWars or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that's a problem. And then just, yeah, that whole demonizing of the press concerns me. Uh, at the same time, I you know have my own issues with how much of it has become entertainment, and not actual mm-hmm. investigative journalism. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, this is another episode entirely. Is that like a, another version of so we've resolved nothing? I think so. I, I think we're resolved. <laughs> since, since we're talking about future episodes at this point, I think we've resolved nothing on this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know, it's it's way less work to like sort of book and produce the show if we just do it all on the air. Right. Like if, if, if people want to listen to us have our conversations about what do we want to talk about next time, you know, yeah. That, sure. that, 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 that's I mean, our other podcast. What do we, we want got- to talk about next time? <laughs> This is how we ended up with so many yeah. monster episodes and everyone. Yeah. Episodes, <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it is a weird thing, right? Like, because because it, it I, we really have resolved nothing. I still don't know. I mean, and I do know parts of it because I know how American exceptionalism works. I know how monomus work. I'm writing a dissertation on it, but the amount of love that we as a as a media um, consuming society have for specifically the road cop it is weird right like that is mm-hmm. that, that is that is a weird yeah. very specific thing that we do also just the love we have of cops like there have been people on tumblr freaking out that people are critiquing jake peralta from brooklyn 99 and as the other half of tumblr said jake peralta is not the person you need to be defending right now also he's <laughs> yeah. <special. laughs> Well, I mean, and it is, it is, uh, I mean, so if we, and yeah, just to sort of go back to the real life thing, right? If you look at the Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter, that Dave Chappelle said, there's no such thing as blue lives. Cop is a job. You know, you can just not be a cop if you want, if you don't want to, right? right? Like your job, do, yeah, your job doesn't yeah. make you more or less valuable than anything else. But cops like soldiers are the kind of thing where we have created the society where it's like, oh, thank you for your service. No, again, I'm really not that nice. You know, so if you want my respect, you earn it. And it's an individual thing, right? I don't necessarily, you know, oh, you're supposed to love cops. But we've created a society where some people more than others really, really, really want to be able to hero worship them. You know, blue lives, the, the, the whole the whole thing where you where people are people who aren't cops are literally flying flags with Punisher logos on them and, and blue lines to say, you know, hey, you know, 
I support police. Why? Like, 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 why? Why are you doing this? You know, it's just a job. What? You know, can you imagine people being like wandering around going, you know, you know, I don't know, convenience store employee lives matter. <laughs> you know, well, they do. They, they do. But why are you concerned with this? So I, it is a weird thing that we've sort of created a special category of people to mm-hmm. imbue with magical hero worship. And I, I think media is a part of that in as much as it is a reflection of it, if nothing else. I think it's a big part of the American exceptionalism concept, because, again, if we're looking at policemen as embodiments of state power, mm-hmm. then they're essentially, you know, the same as the local sports team. Because we're yeah. going to because it's like, hey, this is like go America. There's a flag sewn onto police uniforms. Mm-hmm. It's it's right there. And when we see I'm, I'm thinking about representations of police as agents of bad states. So there's a Latin American playwright, Griselda Gambara, and her famous play is Information for Foreigners. Mm-hmm. And it goes through scenes of state torture. And the people yeah. doing the state torture are generally the official, like the equivalent of the police. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the same embodiment of these are the agents of the state with the theoretical monopoly on violence. And here's what they're doing with it. Whereas America is this pure, golden, good concept. So the people who we've decided have the monopoly on violence are the best people possible because Mm -hmm. they literally have the ability to kill if necessary, restrict freedom if necessary. They have and we need to believe that the state is good. So therefore, the people who enforce the state's will are Mm -hmm. good. And if we're critical of the of the agents of the state, then are we being critical of the state? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we are. Yes, (laughs) that's what this show is. Yes, we are critical of the state. We're anti-state radio. Okay, can we can we get a specific individual's attention, and will that get us sponsors from people that I like better than that individual? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we should probably end it there before you know before people in like in like you know black suits knock on my door. Uh, Ryan Marone, thanks for joining us again. Oh, this was great. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks. Anything you want to promote? Um, Uh, I want to keep promoting my podcast, Slippery Slope. (laughs) Absolutely. Link in the Uh, show notes. Slippery. What? what, Just real brief, because we've talked about it. uh, Slippery Slope is a near future. It's a peek into a near future United States where everything has gone wrong. And mm-hmm. it is dystopian. And one of the things that is happening is that people are getting their organs harvested for defaulting on student loans. Mm-hmm. It's a I mean, so so people understand. This is a radio play, essentially. He's not yes. just like. This is a podcast radio play created through the audio podcast fellows of Stony Brook University. That mm-hmm. is a program I just graduated from. It was a really cool fellowship, and mm-hmm. um, it was created through. It was it, like they kind of sponsored the creation of that. My director is a man named Damon Serafin, who actually played was uh, on Broadway and Rent and has quite a career. And mm-hmm. my sound designer is a man named Will Pickens, who is a sound designer with Broadway credits. And the best thing I ever did is con those two into working with me. So I just want to make sure people understand that this is a play and and we don't have like a war of the world situation kind of. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, Life would be in yeah, yeah. that yeah. way. So. Well, I, I, until they, I have student loans still, so I would prefer not to have my organs harvested. <laughs> <laughs>
Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I want to say that the second best thing that Marone did was con Demone uh, into directing my play earlier this year, um, which is about police and the community issues. So thank you, Marone, for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plug-wise, um, just I, I, all of my industries are dead right now. So I'm updating my <laughs> website. So ryanscottthomas.com. By the time this comes up, it should be up and revamped. That's linked in the show notes as well. Palindrome Hannah. Well, I definitely can't promote my website because Ryan's website's so much cooler than mine. I'm being 100% serious. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers, I guess. Um, I've stopped like tweeting my own thoughts unless it's directed at someone. So maybe I'll tweet back at you one day. Uh, yeah, it's I'm not very interesting right now. You can find me here talking about... LA Confidential or Marble League or whatever. <laughs> and Wayne. Unlike Hannah, I have something to promote this week. <laughs> Believe it or not. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait I'm sorry. My, my, my notes are weird. Hold on. This is not, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, I, was, yeah, <laughs> I know. Surprise. No, I, this, this is shameless self-promotion in an effort to, to make money. Um, I, Mav, you, you've probably seen either through Instagram or, or Facebook. Just this spring in an effort to keep myself sane, I started taking more walks and on my walks, I started taking more pictures and I started posting them. And uh, the response to it has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people are, are loving my photos. Um, and I say that this, this is someone who's never thought of himself as a photographer because that's you, Mav, and that's my roommate, mm-hmm. Marcel, and something I've never done. But enough people push me. I set up a red bubble shop. So you can get mm-hmm. postcards and posters and iPhone cases and whatnot with my various photo designs on them. Um, there, if there are things I didn't activate, they'll print it on anything. Like I didn't activate shower curtains because that just seemed kind of silly to me. If you want a shower curtain or a mini skirt or leggings with one of my images on it, let me know. I will activate those for anybody who wants them. I just didn't make them available in general. Uh, so, and I, I'll send you the link now uh, for the show notes. It's redbubble.com backslash people backslash Wayne Wise, or you can just mm-hmm. go there and search my name and it should come up. So yeah, I got a thing this time around. Um, so there. <laughs> so there. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like we're warring five-year-olds. I, I got a sting. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on my website also, www.chrismaverick.com, though I've not been doing anything there. I'm, I'm devoting most of my time to here, oddly enough. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on our website at www.foxpopcast.com. And if you enjoy the show, which, you know, clearly you do, if you're getting to the, getting this far, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And now YouTube, please, 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 everybody listening, you know, go, if you're listening to the show, Subscribe to us on YouTube, even if you don't want to watch us on YouTube, because, you know, it, you know, we actually need to hit a certain number of subscribers in order to unlock some stuff. So just go and subscribe to us on YouTube. Then go to your like spouse's account and subscribe to us on YouTube there. Just just get our numbers up. We need this, the subscriptions more than anything else. I, I, I like the YouTube interface. Something about it. Like the, just the, the visuals you've added to it add something to my experience of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's worth saying. Like, Mav has yeah. added visuals that are very helpful whenever we describe, like... See, and that's the thing. This this episode, we talked about, like, a lot of stuff. So now I'm wondering, am I am I going to have 
the time in my life to go through and pull clips from uh, L.A. Confidential. Can you know, did Hannah mention L.A. Confidential so many times that I'd have to use so many clips that we would be in copyright infringement mode? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, and I, I, you know, usually not only do we have the you know, well, it depends on the episode. If there's if it's an episode with a lot of visual aids, I tend to link them so you can sort of watch clips or look at pictures of whatever we're talking about. And it does, you know, hopefully enhances the 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 experience a bit. But certainly you can comment on YouTube. You can comment on our blog. You can comment pretty much anywhere. I guess you can you know tweet at us, too, at Fox Popcast. But, you know, that would be helpful if you subscribe to us in all those places. And while you're at it, while you're subscribing to YouTube, leave us a five star review, especially on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. That improves our rankings there, which also will help people find the show, makes things better. There's a lot of perks and stuff. So we definitely need your help with that. Um, So if you if you've got a moment, leave us five stars, write us a little something, something that, you know, as a review that talks about how awesome we are and why you love the show and also just makes us feel better. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. Once again, thank you to Ryan and Marone for joining us. Thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Wear masks. Wear masks. <laughs> Do it. Go ahead, make my day.